This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 29 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Extreme Mustang Makeover. Thank you to our sponsor, Atlantic Horse Carriers, specializing in horse transportation all over the United States. Visit them at AtlanticHorseCarriers.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenn the Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Hey Helena, it's good to be back together again I, I know we we've we were separated there by our spouses. <laughs> I know separation anxiety here. It was like I don't have my partner. I know it was very weird doing a show without you. <laughs> I, I don't realize how much I lean on you for certain things, <laughs> like like all the technical stuff. <laughs> right. Well, you are the geek. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, it is good to be back, and we have a fun show planned today. It's our Extreme Mustang Makeover Edition, and we're going to talk about Mustangs and and the uh, thing that they have called the Extreme Mustang Makeover, which we touched on a couple weeks ago in the in the Valentine's Edition with the Equestrian Singles people, and they talked about this, and we thought, well, this would make a great show, and and that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm, I'm, we're I know you're very excited because you're you're really into the Mustang thing right now, so um, it should be fun. But first, I wanted to mention, Helena, that I have gotten more comments about the Horse Husbands episode that we did a couple weeks ago, and I'm shocked. It's We've gotten more emails, more response, and it's the, been the most downloaded show that we've done to date. Wow. Yeah, and what what surprised me is... From the women I've gotten, the horse wives I've gotten emails from, and we've gotten responses from, and we've heard from, they all loved it. It's been, <laughs> well, it's, it's, been, it's been this thing. I've had a couple of them tell me, I loved it so much, I'm not letting my husband listen to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, been, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting to hear because we weren't quite sure. Remember we talked about it and said, we, should we do this or shouldn't yeah. we? And it, it, I have one email that just exemplifies it. I won't, we won't read a whole lot of the emails, but I just want to go over one real quick if I can. This, I Go for it. Yeah, Michelle wrote to us, and she's from uh, down in uh, Louisiana, and she said, So my husband was in the car with me today, and we were listening to the Horse Husband episode. By the time you got through the first item on your list, I couldn't stop laughing. By number three, Ricky was just looking at me. He said, There, batting 100 so far. I kept telling him he should feel better since he knew it, was, it wasn't just me. His <laughs> reply was something along the lines of wanting to have an intervention for me and the others of my species. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love the my species line. Yeah, yeah. In order for him to ride in the car with me, I had to move to the back seat, the saddle pad, the pair of paddock boots, and an envelope of new Coggins tests. <laughs> Once we got to the doctor's office, I was asked for my insurance card. Out came the card for my horse's insurance. I almost handed it to the girl. It took me a minute to find mine. 
I sent a link to the show to that show to one of my students who was starting to talk about marriage. Well, she should have sent it to the boyfriend. The boyfriend. Just the other night, she expressed. No, no, we horsewomen stick together. We know better. <laughs> Just the other night, she expressed concerns about how the boyfriend is going to handle living with the horse scene. What appropriate timing, <laughs> poor guy! You must make the horse husband episode an annual occurrence. It's just too much fun to listen to. <laughs> So. That's great. And you know what? We have so much material. Like that was just the tip of the iceberg. Yes. We could talk about, <laughs> you know, we could do a whole episode just on what our husbands do when we go away for the weekend and how well they take care of the, uh, the barn. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll have to do that. We'll have to make that an annual event and uh, do both shows every year. And the perfect time is right after Valentine's when we're all talking about being together. And then, okay. uh, and then after that, we can all just complain about each other. It just worked out perfectly timing-wise. That sounds good so, to me. <laughs> so I just had to comment. And I do want to thank all our listeners again for Stable Scoop and the other shows. Uh, the Horse Radio Network had a, a – a, we increased uh, downloads and listenership last month in the month of February by 60%. So uh, it continues to grow at a rapid rate, and we appreciate everybody. Keep telling your friends about it. We're having fun doing it, and we hope you're having fun listening. Uh, So uh, one other fun thing that we're going to do, Helena, starting this month, every month on the Stable Scoop show, we're going to be doing a giveaway. We do that on the other two shows, and we thought, why not do it on Stable Scoop as well and give our Stable Scoop listeners a chance to win cool stuff. So this month uh, we have, and I had you take a look at them to make sure that this was a good item, and you said you absolutely love these, right? Yes, I did, very much, yeah. Dry Duck is a company that puts out all kinds of outerwear, and they came out with this line of cotton twill hats, and our friends at KBC Horse Supplies, which you can find them at kbchorsesupplies.com, have donated these hats for our giveaway this month. And uh, what they are is they're, they have a whole series of authentic wildlife hats, and three of the hats they have are, are horse-related. And they're really nice 100% cotton twill hats that are embroidered with the horse designs. But unlike the other hats that you see a lot, these are embroidered on the sides and then go over the side to the brim. So you usually see them right in the middle of the front. So that I think that's what makes these a little bit different and, and why you like them so much, actually. Yeah, they're well done. They're very um, tasteful, and uh, the colors are nice. There's a pink, there's a, a soft buttery yellow, and a nice, uh, I guess you'd call it a, a khaki green or a camouflage green. And the designs are different. They appeal to, I think, a, a bunch of different horse enthusiasts. There's a barrel racer. I think there's um, sort of a horse in a pasture, which is pretty much neutral. And then appropriate for this week's episode, there are um, Mustangs. And that one, I think, is good for the fellas. Um, it's a little bit more masculine, although the yellow one could be too. But um, So anyway, yeah, there's, there's three styles that uh, I think could suit just about anybody. I'll take all three of them. Thank you. <laughs> well, and we are giving away three of them. So all you have to do, is, it's free to enter. All you do is go sign up on the website. Just go to stablescoop.com, and you'll see on the right-hand side of the page, there's a big link there to click on to go register. You sign up. You have all month to sign up, but don't go do it now so you don't forget. And then we're going to give away three, three of these hats. We'll give you your choice which color you want and which design you want. And then uh, we'll do something different every month so you have a chance to win something new every month. So go to StableScoop.com and sign up to win. Yeah, yep. And if you are a retailer and you've got something great to give away, let us know. You can contact us through the website at StableScoop.com. Great. 
All right, let's talk Mustangs. Ah, hooray. <laughs> so, All right, so. Go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about, we're going to be talking to the lady from the Mustang Heritage Foundation, correct? Right. Well, Patty what is Colbert. that? Patty Colbert is the executive director of the Mustang Heritage Foundation. And you can visit them online at mustangheritagefoundation.org. That is a, um, a nonprofit organization that was um, sort of born out of um, a program that the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, had started in terms of managing the herds of wild mustangs that are currently living on federal lands in the United States. So the Mustang Heritage Foundation, um, they are – well, their mission is to increase the adoptions of mustangs across the country. And they created this event, the Extreme Mustang Makeover, as a way to showcase the value of Mustangs and, you know, how fabulous they could be. So it's essentially a training competition. And at the end of the competition, the horses that participate are available for adoption. Now, um, congressional legislation protects Mustangs. Um, So... As you'll hear Patty t- describes to us, as these herds grow, they, they have a tendency to increase by 20%, roughly 20% each year because, as Mustangs do, they make more Mustangs. Right, right. It's funny how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Some people would say that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so the Mustang Heritage Foundation has gotten really creative with coming up with different programs. One of them is the Extreme Mustang Makeover. The other is something called the Trainer Incentive Program, which we'll talk more about in the interview with Patty. Well, I got to say, the Extreme Mustang Makeover is one of the cleverest uh, whole, you know, just get the word out there campaigns and funnest campaign that I've seen in a long time come out of the horse world. Right? It, 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 right. It accomplishes so many things with one program. And, and you know, I think sometimes we, we get, you know, everybody gets into their discipline and gets doing their thing. And we forget, you know, we get all intense. And, you know, especially if you're in a competition world, you forget that this is supposed to be fun, you know, and this is just plain it does a good deed and it's fun um you know and i think maybe we should just explain a little bit about what happens uh so tell us a little bit about what happens in the in the makeover okay um they have well okay so the um the mustang heritage foundation the the folks who run this program they choose um uh 200 trainers from across america to um and then the number varies sometimes in terms of how many Mustangs. It's Some of it is 100 Mustangs in 100 days. But the point is that they have, let's say, 100 Mustangs. They give them 100 days to take these Mustangs home, work with them, train them, and then come back to the competition venue and compete in um, a series of, um, um, I don't want to say classes, but... Yeah, sort of specific- like different competitions different competitions right so they'll do like in hand um they'll show the horse in hand the horses are evaluated on their body condition so that um the trainer will show that the horse's overall health has improved under their care um they'll also do mounted maneuvers things like going through obstacles and even trailer loading so all of these things kind of come together to show basically the whole horse. And they're not expecting perfection or advanced maneuvers. They're just saying, what, 
what can you do with this horse to create a good foundation oh. in a hundred days? And, you know, we'll talk to her more about exactly what they do and what they do in the competitions. But, uh, you know, when I took a look at some of the videos, these horses are doing things that no thoroughbred or was going to be able to do in a hundred days. Um, oh. you know, it's incredible. Some of the things that they had them doing and we're, we're, so today we're going to speak with Patty, who's the head of the, she's the executive director of the Mustang Heritage Foundation, but we're also speaking to Jim Thomas of Bar T Ranch, and he's going to speak to us. He's actually done this uh, makeover two years in a row. Right. So he's going to speak to us from the trainer's point of view, from a person who's actually taken a Mustang each year and trained it and then gone back and competed with it. And That's and I think he, I think from what I read, he actually ended up, uh, I'm not sure, did he end up buying one of them then or... Um, I know a lot of the trainers end up buying them because they like them so much. Right, uh, right. Um, I'm not sure if he did. We'll I know that he him. does continue to work with Mustangs. He worked with a few Mustangs prior to the competition um, and works with them since then. But I'm not – we'll have to ask I'll him. I'll have to ask him. Okay, cool. All right, good. Well, then uh, let's right after let's get to Patty right after we talk about a new sponsor that we're thrilled to have on the show. And I think that uh, – and you've the, – these uh, – People have actually been clients of yours in your real business um, for for a long time, haven't they? I like how you say that yeah, in my real our business. real jobs. <laughs> <laughs> my real job. Yes, um, this uh, stable scoop. This episode of Stable Scoop is sponsored in part by Atlantic Horse Carriers, and um, they, they specialize in, in transportation of horses all over the U.S. And, and so you've known these people for years, and and they do horse transportation. But I think they do. They're not your typical. I don't think you're their, your typical horse transporters, from what I can see. No, they're not. Um, they certainly don't compete with um, the overtop big commercial operations, and they're not your typical mom and pop operation either. Victor and Maureen Brescia are the owners of the company, and these two people have over thirty years of experience, and they know their stuff. They're great to work with. Well, good. And, and you know, they do uh, just East Coast or all over the place? They do all over the place. They do make regular runs between Maine and Florida. But if you're in Utah or California or somewhere in between, give them a call because they will definitely be able to help you. And one of the things I noticed, too, was one of the there were some comments there on their website. And one of the comments was how clean the trailers were. Um, yep. And, you know, that that's so important because I've seen so many of these that have just been a mess. Well, they've shipped my own horse um, up the East Coast, and I remember when he walked off the trailer, he looked great, and the trailer was immaculate. So, and then the other horses looked, you know, happy and and relaxed, and um, it was just, it was a pleasure to be able to receive your horse from a long-distance journey and feel comfortable that he wasn't overly stressed on that journey. All right, and then you can visit them at their website at AtlanticHorseCarriers.com. That's That's Atlantic Horse carriers with an s.com or you can give them a call at 207-293-4948 that's 207-293-4948 we appreciate their support of the stable scoop show and we hope that you support them by giving them a call make sure you told you tell them that you heard about them on the stable scoop radio show all right great let's get patty on Okay, I am very excited to introduce our first guest for this show. Patty Colbert is the executive director for the Mustang Heritage Foundation. And uh, Patty's got lots of great things to tell us about uh, not only the foundation, but the Extreme Mustang Makeover program. So welcome, Patty. Thank you, and thanks for the invitation. 
Now, oh my gosh, I have probably 150 million questions that I could ask you, but um, I'm going to start with some of the, the basics, and, and then we can just take it from there. Um, I know that the mission of the Mustang Heritage Foundation is to facilitate successful adoptions of wild horses and burrows. Um, what kinds of things, it, I mean, I guess, including the extreme Mustang makeover, what kinds of things does the organization do to facilitate those adoptions? Well, we basically operate two two facets, and that's because we um, I became involved with the organization in January of '06. So it's it's relatively a youngster, um, but we tried to take two pieces. One is to uh, you know you can't tell horse people anything; you have to pretty much show them. So uh, because because I I enjoy reality television, I I got the idea that if we could show the industry and 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 horse enthusiasts that these mustangs were very trainable animals that in a short amount of time and and create a little fun with it that we created the uh, mustang makeover events and then the second piece uh, that we are currently operating uh, and quite successfully is called the trainer incentive program and that's where people that have a a solid set of skills with starting horses and have the appropriate facilities that are required by the Bureau of Land Management's Wild Horse and Burrow Program have that. They make application with us. They can pick up a horse, a, a Mustang, and train it for uh, up to 90 days, find an adopter, and we pay those people $700 to do that. If they get the horse trained in a shorter amount of time than 90 days, they still get the 700 So it's kind of a economic stimulus package, you know, to lean on all the current media right. lingo, yeah. uh, to, 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 to create uh, independent entrepreneurs that can take these horses, uh, get them gentled, and find uh, an appropriate adopter for them. So those are the two programs. The events kind of promote and, and push and show uh, folks that these horses can do it. And then on a one-on-one -on -one basis, we've got these great trainers that are helping us uh, gentle and, and adopt horses across the country. So exactly how does the Extreme Mustang Makeover work? So they they uh, Just explain the order of events, what happens, and, you know, how do you pick, do the trainers pick you, or do you pick the trainers, or, you know, I, I, I know we have actually talked to uh, some in the past episodes who have done this, and that's what's really got us interested in, in speaking with you today about it. And, you know, I think Mustangs do have in some sectors of the country and some sectors of the horse population have a bad reputation. And that's probably because they, somebody has come in contact with one that was trained poorly or not trained at all. And they assume they're all like that. Well, that's exactly right. There's uh, just like all kinds of uh, people, dogs, cats, horses, pickup trucks, you know, you get stereotyped and <laughs> what's happened because these horses are wild. You know, it, I always use the analogy that if you were going to go uh, to the Humane Society or a rescue facility to get a dog, there'd be a nice beagle in one cage that had been with a family, and then there'd be a coyote in the other. And you have to have a certain kind of skills and facility in order to take that coyote home. But when you do take the coyote home, boy, what a story you have to tell. <laughs> and when you do it right, how impressed people are. So these horses are wild. They're um, 
they're typically, uh, of course, gathered from ten, the 10 states here in the United States that have wild horses on public-held lands. Uh, those are the Mustangs that we work with. There are other wild horses in the country, uh, just for your viewers' knowledge, because these are things I've learned over the last three years, like the Shinkatink ponies that you uh, read about on the East Coast, or, or there may be horses in uh, some of the parks um, that are held uh here in the United States. Those are also, of course, wild horses, but, but unless they're on public-held lands, uh, they're not under the jurisdiction of the Department of Interior, which is where the Bureau of Land Management resides. I, I hope that's not too complicated, but it does, it does inform folks kind of where these horses are coming from. So what our Extreme Mustang makeover, to go back to your question, is we um, identify uh, venues or facilities that we feel like have a good population draw uh, that are that have either a partner for us to work with like an expo or or a, a fair um, and then we build a program to where we work with the BLM we uh, identify a date and time we then through our website which your uh, listeners can go to extreme mustang makeover.com right we'll uh, put a link to that in our show notes so everybody can get there right extreme mustang makeover.com they can go there and they'll see the various events that we're going to be hosting in 2009 we're doing 11 events in 2009 across the country and those are um, all extreme makeover events Yes, what we've decided this year is to call everything Extreme Mustang Makeover because that's what everybody was calling them anyway. Okay. Uh, we had done Mustang Challenges last year at uh, three different events, but but we we've been we were so successful branding the first one that we are just using those as makeover events. So they'll go and kind of see what areas there are and where the deadlines are on the application, um, and they'll make application and the application. Uh, consists, of course, of your contact information. But then we also ask, you know, what your experience is horse-wise, how long have you been training, what types of training you did, uh, have you done any competitions, um, you know, uh, why you want to do this, uh, a reality check that it is not a money-making scenario, and that, um, and then we ask for a couple of references. And you also have to include information about your trailer and the way you're going to be hauling the horses because the BLM um, requires certain specs on the trailers. And then your facilities, because when you bring a wild horse home, uh, you have to have, if the horse is older, is two or older, you have to have a six-foot-high fence. And so you have to describe uh, your facilities and your trailers. Um, you know, there, there's, there's some effort that needs to be put into this. We receive those applications. Uh, first, check them with the BLM, should anybody have ever had a, um, a misunderstanding with the BLM. Uh, you That's know, a we, polite we way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's or why she's the if, executive director. Yeah, she's very politically correct. <laughs> or if you... Uh, if, if you've ever had any case of animal abuse or human cruelty. Um, so we try to do as much as we can on checking backgrounds. And, and then those people become part of this um, uh, contestants for the team. We orchestrate a pickup of wild horses at one of the BLM locations, obviously in the region, 
where the contest will be held. Those people go and they get their horse by lottery. There is no picking in this. You you get what is uh, predetermined for you. Um, these are all uh, three and four year old horses. They're all solid colored. Um, they may have a star snipper socks or things like that, but we created that because these are the most challenging horses for BLM to get adopted. Is that you because can imagine, the, the colored ones or the fancy ones are easier to, to find new homes for? Most definitely. You know, America is all about the bling. And uh, so uh, the, the Palominos and the flashier and the grays and those kinds of horses go before the the solid sorrels, chestnuts, blacks, browns, those horses. Uh-oh. Um, so those are... Uh-oh. I, I just opened your website and the music came on. <laughs> Glenn is so busted. horse on there? Yeah, I just opened it. I forgot that you have that uh, video that comes up when the website opens. <laughs> Sorry about that. Go ahead. You know, you were being an okay. awfully quiet. Well, here I am trying to check out the website, and I forgot there's a cool little video that shows you all about it on there. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's that's a good thing to have. But, but um, anyway, so they get and pick their horse up. They have anywhere, depending on the date of the of contest, of course, between 90 and 100 days uh, to get that horse trained. They bring it back to the contest. And please remember, this is pretty much on their nickel. We do reimburse the trainers up to $500 in horse care costs or travel. Now, so, how is that uh, different they, from the $700 incentive? Um, well, that's a different program. This is for the contest only. Okay, because gotcha. the seven. Uh, because they get $500, then we use that, um, then we also have prize money at these contests. So so they get reimbursed 500 they come to the contest, we pay for their stalls, shavings, all that kind of uh, good, expensive, horse-related uh, contest costs. You know, that's and not a bad they, deal. That's, and you know, they compete. Like you said, it's, right. it's not something they're doing to make money, but it's um, it could be... Um, disincentive for lack of a better word i don't even know if that is a word but um right it, it, the expense could dissuade them from participating so you're just making it a little bit easier for them to come and get involved we're we're making it a little more palatable because what we do on the other end is not quite as pleasant um once they compete and their horses are placed and they receive prize money typically on the Saturday night of the weekend, we'll have the finals. The next day, Sunday, or sometimes following the finals on Saturday, all of the horses that participated are then put up for adoption by public auction. The trainers then, if they're interested in keeping their horse, have to bid against the other bidders to be able to adopt their horse back. So... You do have a scenario many, many times because more than a third of our trainers have uh, wanted to keep their horses because, of course, they create, you know, an attachment and a relationship and, um, quite frankly, sometimes fall in love. Hmm. And so the, the frustrating part is that they then have to put this horse up for adoption and bid against other people. The trainers do receive a 20% commission of whatever the adoption fee is after we pay the BLM their $125 adoption fee. This gets a little complicated, and you can read all of this on the ExtremeMustangMakeover.com website. Okay. But, when, but, you talk, when you talk about competing, I wanted to, what are they doing in the competition, quote-unquote, or are they doing all different kinds of things? 
Well, they're doing three things. The first one is that they get a body condition score because, of course, we always want to promote a good care of these horses. Right. It, it has nothing to do with the confirmation of the horse or the way the horse looks because, obviously, they had no choice over that. But the way that the horse is conditioned, get, they get a score on that, which is a standard body condition score that most veterinarians and equine science majors are very comfortable with. Then they do an in-hand class. That's where they lead the horse through a series of obstacles and maneuvers, so they get a score on that. And then they get a horse course um, score, which is the horse course is a riding component where they have to do a series of maneuvers and uh, trail-type obstacles, and they get a score on that. The combination of those scores, um, then uh, we determine the top 10, and then they come back for what we call a no-holds-barred freestyle finals. And that's where we encourage the trainers to use music and props and theatrics and also require them to do basic maneuvers um, and at any point in their, in their performance. And they get uh, usually amazing things happening uh, with the horses because you really get mm. to show the horse what he does best. And right. he or he, uh, Gelding or Mare, does best. And, and it's just been so entertaining, you know, to the fans. The, the neatest thing that we've done is just built this incredible base of Mustang fans for our event um, and have been selling lots and lots of seats, which is not typical in the horse industry. You know, it's yeah. funny because I watched some of the videos, and there's a bunch of them on YouTube that people can check out too if they just put in extreme mustang makeover and then you have some on your website too they're doing all kinds of fun stuff this is fun stuff (laughs) it it is fun stuff and one of the one of the things i get in a lot of trouble though sometimes for trying fun stuff but you got to try it in the horse industry because we're getting way way too boring in, in the horse industry. And Agreed. We've got to get more I totally agree. Agreed. Well, so what we did this past time on, on our finals, and we had our judges um, judge like Dancing with the Stars. I mean, the judges, after the finalists performed, they had to hold up their score, uh, one to ten with half points, um, on what they felt like the horse's uh, horsemanship um, and execution of uh, required skills was was one score, and then uh, artistic interpretation and athletic ability was a second score. And let me tell you what, now, that crowd will let those judges know (laughs) whether they think they did a good job or not by cheering and booing and screaming, and it is just in a way that we engage our audience uh, in a way that's not typical of our horse industry, and we are having a lot of fun with that. That's awesome. Now, if I want to go to one of these events, um, and I want to, not only do I want to watch as a spectator, but I'm interested in, in adopting one of these Mustangs. Where do I go? What what website and what, um, do I go to the Extreme Mustang Makeover website? And will there be, a, can I find a location that's nearest to me? Yes, you can. Yes, you can go to the Extreme Mustang Makeover. We actually operate two websites. One of them is the Mustang Heritage foundation.org and that gives you basic information about our programs and we'll well when you click on events it'll send you right over to extreme mustang makeover or you can go separately of course to extreme mustang makeover.com and you'll see where they are uh we go uh the next um makeover event will be in uh, albany oregon and I don't have my calendar right here in front of me, but that is the uh, third week in March. Actually, there's the one before that. Quickly? There's one in uh, Battle of the Bling. Uh, 
Oh, well, that's a, that is a, uh, you may have heard of an event called Road to the Horse. Yes, yes. That, that is probably one of the premier horse events that's owned and operated by Tootie Bland, and that's where uh, Clinton Anderson and Chris Cox and other famous celebrity trainers have competed against each other in a colt starting uh, competition. Right, right. Well, well uh, Tootie has invited our champion from this year, uh, Mark Lyon, and another trainer that we got to select, Wiling Wilson, to come and be part of the entertainment there at Road to the Horse. Ah. Those horses will not be, those Mustangs will not be up for adoption. They've already been adopted by okay. those trainers. Okay. And, but they're going to be part of it, and we're going to have a big booth there because Road to the Horse is a hot ticket. Yeah, it is. And, it's very um, popular. <laughs> yeah, and, and that market for us is tremendous for us to use those people that attend as uh, conduits back into their uh, regional horse uh, groups and, and organizations to let them know about the quality of these Mustangs. So that is the one that's in uh, weekend after next, and then we go to Oregon, uh, and then it takes off from there. We go to Florida, uh, California, Wyoming, Utah, Tennessee. Um, it's all over the map. Okay. Now, I want to step back a little bit and talk more about the Mustang Heritage Foundation and the BLM program that sort of spawned this. Um, there are Mustangs that um, live on government lands. And uh, am I right in saying that, according to the federal government, they think there are too many and therefore they need to cull these herds? And that's how this program started? Or am I off base there? No, you're, you're right on track. You're right on track. The, the Bureau of Land Management in the 10 states that I mentioned earlier in the western states, um, are, it's by law, they're, they're, they're uh, challenged to manage these horse herds. And what they try to do, uh, the Bureau of Land Management, tries to create appropriate herd management numbers. That's where they determine the, um, the ability of a certain parcel of land to be able to sustain X number of horses. And so they try to keep as best as they can those herd counts. But horses, just, you know, as everyone does, procreate. And, and they can increase up to 20% uh, annually by the foals and mares. And so um, one of the ways to to keep the population at herd management level in, has been the gathers. And that's where they'll, uh, they'll gather these horses up and they will... Um, select horses that then go into BLM short-term holding facilities while they're processed, they get their vaccinations, those kinds of things, and then they're put uh, into various uh, adoption uh, efforts, which are across the United States, and you'll see that. You can go to um, wildhorseandborough.gov and see where the wild horse uh, adoptions are held across the country. And that's one way that they try to maintain the herd management levels within these different regions. Now tell us there the... About, go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, I There are about 30,000 horses in the wild right now is their estimate, and they have an additional 30,000 horses in long-term holding facilities. Um, and, and that's where you... Those of us that watch the media have heard about um, several months ago Madeline Pickens, who's kind of a celebrity in her own right, uh, you know, was trying to attempt to find land where she could take a large number of those horses and uh, that are in long-term holding facilities and, you know, and place them, quote-unquote, back into 
to, to the wild. And there's a lot of efforts in those areas. But adoption, just like the dog and cat populations, are a strong way to try to create uh, homes for these horses so they're not in BLM holding facilities. Has Mrs. Pickens had any luck, or what's the story with that? You know, I really hate to speak to that. I know that she's okay. going to be testifying, I think, today um, in a congressional hearing in D.C. And uh, I, I, there's some, uh, like the New York Times has a story, I believe, today out on her current position on that. And I haven't read it yet. I tried to read that before our, our uh, interview here. But your readers could sure go uh, to that and um, okay, archive and we'll, those we'll, I'll try and find that and link off of our uh, show notes for that, too. Yeah. Great, great. What's the um is there any truth to this? Um I, I know one of the things that gets all the internet chat boards going, the forums going, is that okay, uh BLM is rounding up Mustangs again and uh whatever they can't adopt out, they're they're essentially gonna shoot dead. I, is that a myth? Um That is, is a that is an absolute myth. That okay. the uh the you know, the only time that the, the BLM uh, destroys a horse is when it, it is a humane situation. They have policy with regards to that. Uh, the, the, that is a misconception of um, the general public that the, hor- that the government is killing horses. They are not doing that. Uh, they are trying to make every effort to um, be able to care for these animals. And, you know, every... There are so many different uh, attitudes and and ideas about how to solve this problem. Um, it all it, it's really it, just like any other major effort that goes on within our country. It's going to take you know a lot of different groups doing a lot of different things to impact this population. Everything from the scientific approach to better birth control you know, to better land management uh, ecologically, you know, to adoption, of course, which is our uh, mission and focus, uh, to horse management and care. And, and that is just, it's a, it's a big issue. Uh, the United States currently is probably paying uh, quote, more than $20 million annually to feed and care for these horses in long-term holding facilities. And uh that's just um, those are numbers that just become larger as things progress. Right. Well, I'd like to make um, a suggestion. Sure. <laughs> since, since I'm going right to the top here, um, I think that because the these horses are, they come from uh, the western and central part of the United States, I think folks on the East Coast um, don't have as much exposure to them, and uh, you know a lot of the English disciplines seem to be popular around here. But as I'm researching this whole topic, I'm really starting to feel like Mustangs would be great for the very heavy pleasure population, particularly on the East Coast. And these people just don't know that these horses are just diamonds in the rough. Um, How are you reaching out to other parts of the country? Um, Or or are you or can you come out to the East Coast? I I notice even looking at the trainers that you have listed on their website, they're very heavy in Texas and um, in other Midwest states, but it it tends to fall off a little bit as you get further east. Do you have a program in place or ideas on how to really spread that further? Um, You know, you are just spot on. Uh, it It is a huge challenge by the BLM to uh, create adoption uh, scenarios east of the Mississippi. Um, It is, you know, it it should be a a market, and we are working on that. Uh, Our efforts, you know, include that we have, you know, uh, 
kind of put our eggs in the Tennessee and the Florida basket um, yeah. for 2009. You know, we, we have to go where there is kind of hopefully a large uh, adoption market, and so therefore we kind of move to horse-populated areas. But um, I have a lot of uh, friends in the East, and they they say the same thing that you do, that um, if we could do a better job of promoting that horse in the East, that they feel that there'd be um, a strong market for them. And we will be doing that, and, uh, and I'll keep you posted because, uh, you know, listeners like yours that are located there could contact us, and if they have ideas where we could bring 30 to 40 horses and, and feel like they have a base of trainers that might like to compete with that and and some ideas about facilities, we'd be more than happy to talk to them. Good, good. Well, so everybody out there listening to that, keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, that would keep be great. That in you mind. Know, I, I, actually, some neighbors of ours had Mustangs, and we used to trail ride with them all the time when we lived in Pennsylvania, and, and they, were just, they were just good horses. Yep, and, and you know, it's, it's funny, uh, I wanna, we're going to hopefully talk a little bit later here to one of the trainers, and I know that he's had a couple different size Mustangs, and a lot of people think Mustangs just come in uh, small, compact, but uh, they come in all different sizes. Right. Oh, yeah, there was an incredible um, influence of draft horses, you know, and cavalry horses, and uh, a lot of different influences on these various herds, and so we've had... You know, we've had three-year-olds that are 15, 2, and 3 uh, in this competition. We try to keep horses, you know, uh, above, four, you know, the 14, 2 or 14, 3 in the competitions just because we might have a six foot 2 cowboy. And so we try to make that as equitable as possible. But they are very, very hardy animals, uh, easy keepers, great feet, good bone, um, those kinds of uh, natural animals. Uh, attributes that they had to acquire uh, by living in the wild certainly make for good, healthy horses in a home environment. Yeah. Well, we couldn't agree more. They know how to take care of themselves. That's for sure. Exactly. I know more than a few people who need a horse that can take care of themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very independent cusses and and it works out well, but I do want to take the time really because your viewers are so important to the growth of this. And, and, uh, and I just want to say to your viewers, you know, I've been where you are. I've bought a Mustang. Are you crazy? You know, but I've seen this, and I've watched the quality of these animals. The trainer incentive program. If anybody has has the facilities or or the or the skill set to work with the wild horse, which they come around relatively quickly. Now, some of them, of course, they're not all perfect, just like any other uh, beast or human. You know, um, there are going to be some that the trainers deem untrainable. But if if anyone has an inkling that they might like to try to do this uh, through the trainer incentive program and receive uh, financial support for doing that, please go to our website and, and call us. If, you know, we've got a staff that we can talk to you about because some people don't, you know, some people aren't, don't have a lot of computer access or they really want to talk to a human about that. And they can do that by calling our number that is uh, uh, 512-355. Three two two five, and uh, our program managers will be happy to visit with them. And we will put all of the contact information for the Mustang Heritage Foundation in the show notes for this week's Stable Scoop episode. And Patty, I 
I really want to thank you. I wish I could be face-to-face with you right now because I would so heartily and warmly shake your hand and thank you for your efforts on behalf of these horses and um, and for joining us today and, and spreading your passion because it's, it's yeah. totally evident in your voice. And I just love talking to somebody who's as passionate um, as I am, especially when you're dealing with the underdog. And I think in this right. case, the Mustangs have, have taken on the role of underdog. So thank you. Right. Well, thank you. We have a terrific product. You know, all of us that are involved in the industry, if, if you're truly in the industry, you're there because of the horse. And uh, this is just a way to take a piece of American history, kind of an iconic symbol, and bring that into your life. And I, like I tell my girlfriends that love to trail ride and do all this kind of stuff, I said, if you ride up with a horse that's got one of those big freeze marks on his neck, which identifies our animals, you know, they have down down their main line, they have a, a large freeze mark that indicates where uh, they were adopted, their age, those kinds of things. You've got an entree into conversation with anybody on the ride. And, That's uh, true. you know, <laughs> don't waste your time going to find a date. Dot com. You know, just get you a Mustang right up, and those son of a guns will start talking to you from the beginning on because everyone is intrigued by this animal. A little com- competition there for equestrian uh, singles, huh? Oh, no, Martian's, Martian's drinking the Kool-Aid. She's one of our greatest supporters, and uh, and she uh, she's living it, too. She's got her a fabulous young, young horse that she's working with. Uh, so, yeah, we all got to pull together, and thank you for what you do and for your outreach into our industry. It's priceless. Well, you know what? We're just going to – I see Fort Worth, Texas here in September uh, 18th, Helena. We're just going to have to go down and do a show from there, I think. All right. Come um, Come on, you will have the time of your life, and we'll treat you like gold. Like oh, we good. Treat our trainers. Okay? <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks a lot, Patty. Thank you guys for what you do. We appreciate it. Our pleasure. Well, that was great. It's so nice. You know, it's so cool that we have a venue, a program that reaches thousands of people all across the place, all across the world, that we can talk about things that we're also passionate about and subjects that, that we want to get the word out about, and, and I think this is one of those. Yeah. Yeah, I love to hear the passion in her voice. Yeah, she's definitely she's definitely a believer, you know. And and I know somebody else that is, and who who has uh, his name is Jim Thomas. He's actually trained a couple of these horses for for I think two of the extreme Mustang makeovers, two years in a row. Yes, sir. So let's get Jim on and let's talk to Jim a little bit about why he does this and and you know what what he's gotten out of it and what he's learned. Hi, Jim. Thanks for coming on the Stable Scoop show with us today. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Glenn. I'll tell you what, uh, we've been having fun talking about Mustangs today, and we spoke to Patty a little bit about the Extreme Mustang Makeover, which you participated in last year. And I just wanted to, how did you learn about it, and, and what made you decide to get involved? Well, probably, I guess, two and a half or three years ago, I became involved with the Mustang Heritage Foundation, uh, just as a, um, I guess, as a propulsion for the Mustang uh, in America and making people more aware of the Mustang. And the more I found out about it, uh, they started advertising that they were talking about uh, the um, Mustang makeover. And I was very interested in that. And prior to that, I trained probably half a dozen Mustangs. And I thought, you know, that this seems like a good thing. It seems like something fun. Uh, seems like something to take a chance on. So that's what I stepped up in. That was actually in 2007 was the first one, and uh, also in 2008. 
So you've done so two was, now, was, then? It, yes, I've done both of them. Okay. Yes. And this uh, obviously... Kind of like that, a card. This wasn't a long shot. You already had trained some Mustangs, so you were familiar with the Mustang to begin with. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I'd already uh, worked with a few Mustangs, and I had a couple of personal Mustangs that I was very proud of and wanted the world to know that they were not the uh, the typical quarter horse or standard bred or anything else, but it was an American Mustang. I think one thing you see, uh, Mustang owners, they all shave the uh, the brand on the Mustang so everybody can see that, hey, this is a Mustang. That's something real popular. Now, that's um, – you know, so you did 2007, you did 2008. The um, the Bar T Mustang Project, what is Bar T? Is that your, your ranch? Yes. Uh, my place is the Bar T Ranch, and – I started the blog up last year in 2007, and the horse for the 2007 makeover was Medicine Man. Medicine, and oh, great name. Block up, and um, we came up with the name because he came from Maverick Medicine, Nevada, and it was just one of those popped in the mind names, and it stuck with him. And everybody it, to this day still talks about Medicine Man because of what a great little horse that he is, and. He's been ridden today uh, by a nine-year-old girl. That's her her horse. Oh, that's and he great. He really turned out well. Now, what was he like when you first met him? And and um, then, what 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 was he like when you? you no, know, you didn't get to pick him. Was he sort of given to you? No, that's that's correct. Um, they're selected by lottery. Uh, right. So, prior to us going out to pick our horses up, they've already made the selection with the trainer versus horse. And so when you drive up, they say, you have horse number 4722. And you just go out and wander around and says, there he is. So that's that's the closest bit of picking that you have. I'm a big person, and when I saw Madison Man, he's about 14'1". Oh, my. I'm six foot four. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so you got out the roller you know, skates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, that was exciting just in itself. But he came with a... <laughs> With a super personality, came with a good attitude. He was like the typical Mustang, very shy, very evasive, uh, but he picked up on things quickly. And he was uh, he was curious. A lot of Mustangs, uh, they don't have the curiosity part, but for him, it was all about what's next, what is that. I want to see it, I want to smell it, I want to touch it. And uh, that was, it made him an easy horse to train. Yeah, that's a good foundation to start with. Yes. How long had you been training horses before this? Uh, on and off, I was raised with horses, uh, so I could probably say 40 years. Okay, so it's been a long time. Uh, on and off and dealing with horses. And I, aren't, During my, my stint in the Army, I was probably about 15 years that I didn't have any horses. And then um, probably five or six years before I retired, then I picked back up and got back involved with horses again. And what did you do while you were in the Army? Um, the biggest, I started out in the army, I was a Morse code operator and then I went to an instructor for the recon school and and I took a a few trips in some not so great places (laughs) and wound up in the recruiting and retention arena. And that's what I retired from. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) Now, how do you think your army career, um, has influenced your life as a horseman or vice versa? Um, I think it, it, one, is taught patience. Uh, my children are always arguing with me about that, that I don't have patience. I don't have patience. <laughs> and, and they see me working with horses, and there's always this 
the same day. How can you do that? How can you stand for an hour or two hours working with a horse, don't lose your cool, and you're asking something simple of the horse before the horse gets it? And then you come to us and you ask us something, and in a matter of two or three minutes, you've already blown your top. <laughs> and I'll just look at him. I says, uh, y'all speak English, that horse doesn't. <laughs> it pretty much answers it right there. They don't have anything to say. <laughs> How but, old are uh, your kids? Uh, my daughter's 23 and my son's 18. And he's okay. actually, he has just joined the military and he's away at his training right now. Oh, wow. Did he, did he do the same branch? Uh, yes, he did. Okay, cool. You must be proud of that. I'm very proud of it. Well, wow. cool. So, so what, what, what do you find most challenging about working with Mustangs? You've obviously worked with other types of other breeds as well. So what's the challenge um, about Mustangs? And then what are, what, what's the good thing and the bad thing about a Mustang? The, well, and this is good and bad. The good thing about a Mustang is they're very singular. Uh, the attention, the attraction that they draw with one person is very strong, way more than a domestic horse. A domestic horse, of course, from exposure, from birth, they've met several people. And with a Mustang, they've never had any exposure to one person. So when you do get that Mustang and you start within a day or two or three, that you create uh, a super bond between you and that horse. And that bond will continue to grow. And you'll notice even at 30 or 60 days, that they're very apprehensive to spend any time or have trust in another person. And so the good part of that is they have created such a trust in you that they will continue to try and try and try to do things that you ask them to do, whether it be cross a bridge, cross a tarp, cross water, um, back in the areas that they aren't familiar with, load in a trailer. Once you've created that trust, the horse just kind of looks at you and says, well, if you say it's okay, it's okay, and they'll do it. But if a stranger comes in, a stranger can't get anywhere with that horse till they develop that trust. And the big thing that I have, especially when I'm training someone else's Mustang, is I try to get them as involved as mm. possible so it's not singular. It's that horse is beginning to relate with two people. And then I'll bring other folks in to get that exposure also so at the end of 30 days or 60 or 90 days however long the horse is here he's already had maybe a half a dozen different riders he's had a half a dozen different people ask him to do things and to move and lead and walk and back and load and all of those do you find that once you establish the initial trust between the horse and you that um, creating trust between subsequently new riders and handlers that it's it goes a lot quicker, or do they have to, is it starting from square one with each new person they meet? It's a lot quicker. It's a lot, I mean, you can actually, within a day or two days, develop that trust with the next person, as long as that person is taking the same attitude as the way I worked with the horse. Don't be right. forceful with the horse. Ask. You get a little bit of effort. Uh, reward the horse for it, and, and move in that direction. If, if it's a total different person, someone that deals with horses totally different than I do, it can probably take as long as it did with me. Right. But it's, if they come in with the same attitude um, of, you know, ask and reward, ask and reward, they'll get the same results I do. And when I say reward, it's not through treats or anything else. It's like, you know, release the pressure, pat, rub, 
scratch, those kind of rewards. Right, because Mustangs, I would expect, to have no concept of what a treat is, that a treat is a reward. It is so funny that and you'll hear people talk, well, you know, I've had this horse for three weeks and I can't get him to eat sweet feet. And, <laughs> you know, the horse is just like, well, that's, you know, in that horse's mind, that's as dangerous as eating loco weed or eating cuckleberry egg, uh, seeds or anything else. Right, right. Tastes funny um, and it's all it's, sugary. And <laughs> right. It's not something they found walking around in Nevada. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we're... I can have them eating sweet feed in a couple of days, but they're tricked into it. They they automatically will eat hay, so you just sprinkle a little sweet feed in the hay, right? And they start adapting a taste to it, and before you know it, they're over at the bucket eating eating a scoop of it. So, what would you say then? If you every breed of horse, I think, has a special characteristic that sort of defines its its breed um, temperament-wise, what would you say is the defining characteristic of the Mustang as compared to, you know, your thoroughbred and your quarter horses? What makes a Mustang stand out? Hardiness. Hmm. The strong will survive. Take a, a domestic horse, expose it to the conditions that most of the Mustangs, when they were winglings and yearlings, are exposed to, and half your domestic horses would never survive. And the weak Mustangs don't survive. Right. But those that do survive, especially in the harsh winters, that uh, almost every range uh, that the Mustangs are raised on, they have harsh winters because they're in the higher altitudes. And by that, it's built the hardiness and that horse and that survivability to where when you get one here, it's like, it's a cakewalk. I don't go out, you know, we've had, this week we've had uh, nights of 15 degrees. I'm not blanking in those horses. You know, okay. And you walk out, there's not a chill, there's not a shake, there's not anything to them in the mornings because they're accustomed to that. And your domestic horses, you run around and there's blankets on them, they've got them up in uh, heated stalls and everything else. And that's the big difference. Um, Medicine Man was uh, another prime example. Uh, about two weeks before the uh, makeover in 2007, I had... Uh, purchased some feed that had cuckleberry uh, seeds in them. And well, cuckleberry seeds are very toxic to horses. And normally a horse will not eat them. Well, these were mixed into the feed. They had molasses on them. And Medicine Man had eaten them. He suffered toxic poisoning. Went into, um, actually, he went into toxic shock. Oh, God. The vet came, did everything they could do, uh, and he foundered. Uh, his temperature went up real high. Laminitis, everything set in. Dad said he'll be up in a stall for six months. Farrier came, tried to make him comfortable on his feet because, you know, by then the way the uh, founder goes down into the feet, they're so tender they can't move around. Right. In 10 days, and this is after two people, two professionals in their uh, individual fields, had said it would take six months for this horse to recover. In 10 days, he was at the makeover. Wow. <laughs> so now, um, you, you did it the second year in 2008, too. What was, what was that horse like? Um, that, that horse's name, it started out, his name was Ricochet. When I went to pick him up in Illinois, because he was just, he had that excited attitude, head high, and he bounced off everything. Well, you know, first it, challenge must be getting them in your trailer. <laughs> well, they do that, but that's done pretty well. They do it through a, a series of shoots. Shoots, yeah, so like cows. They just 
driving me and just yeah. like cattle. Yeah. But uh, pardon, he comes around, he gets in, and he's bouncing off the walls, and it's just like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So so he had the name Ricochet. Okay. Well, I get him home, and after about a couple of weeks, now, he was a total different horse than Madison Man. He, the ghost, always followed him. He was haunted by the ghost. And after a couple of weeks of working with him, as afraid as he would be of things, he would not put any pressure back on me. So when I would apply pressure and he would have an option, it's like stand and tremble, turn and run, or run over me. He would just stand and tremble. And even when he was scared, he would not bump into me and and he wouldn't run over me. So I changed his name to Pardon because he was so polite. All the things that he was having to deal with within himself, um, he was so polite not to hurt me. My heart is just expanding out of my chest right now. I I just want to go find this horse and give him a hug. (laughs) You kept him, too, didn't you? He is actually racing barrels in Louisiana now. Oh, really? Wow. Yes, uh, a 14-year-old girl bought him. Uh, at the auction right after the makeover, and she's racing barrels with him. What do you think they're best for? At, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna recommend a Mustang to somebody, what do you think they're best for after they're trained? Is there a discipline, or doesn't it matter? English Western doesn't matter. I think you've got to look at just a confirmation of the horse, okay. uh, because Mustangs were built up. You know, from I've got one, uh, my personal most favorite Mustang. Her name is Reba. She's five years old. She's 16 too. And she's built just like a thoroughbred. She's very thin. She's tall. She's long. And she makes, well, I do some jumping on her, but I'm not a hunter jumper. It's just, you know, I like to jump. Right. So she's good at that. She's an excellent trail horse. And anybody can ride her. She's got a perfect disposition. Well, that's funny because when I looked at the pictures of Medicine Man, I mean, that looks like a stocky thoroughbred, you know? Or stocky quarter horse, I mean. Mm, he's, he was 14 too, and built like a tank. Yeah, he just looks <laughs> like a little tank. He, <laughs> and I could ride him, you know, I'm 180, 190 pounds. I could ride him all day long, no effort on him. The folks that I would trail ride with, you know, their horses are panting, they're breathing, they're sweating, they're this, and medicine man is just kind of like, okay. But one thing, and this is neat about a, a Mustang, is when you turn them into trail horses, they walk their own speed. Five horses can walk away and leave them. They'll mm-hmm. not pick up their pace unless you ask them to. So, they're conditioned to, you know, that long run for the day, right. so they're going to walk their speed. You ask them to pick it up, they catch up to the horses, they'll slow back down, walk their speed. Yeah. And uh, I always thought that was kind of neat. And every Mustang I've ever uh, worked with is exactly like that. What do you think, Glenn? Sounds like they'd make a good fox hunter, huh? Yeah, it does. I'm sure there's there's quite a few out there doing that, too. I like a horse who can think for himself. (laughs) So now you've done it twice. Are you going to do it again this year? Well, it depends on my kids. My kids both did it last year. My daughter did the uh, yearling uh, portion. Oh, wow. She finished 11th out of 100. And uh, now wow. that was the first horse she had ever dealt with all by herself. Wow. And cool. she, she did a super job. My son finished, 
19th, 19th out of 100 in his division. And both of those want to go back and do it again. I haven't decided if I'm going to do it again or just support them. Okay. Um, but it's we will be involved at least two horses deep, I can assure you, this year. Good. And it right. may be three. Good. It sounds like this challenge is, is better off because of your involvement and the fact that you've got your children involved as well is just beyond amazing. Now, you and go ahead. We actually we host a couple of um, just free clinics here um, in the area every year. Also, and the first year was Meet Medicine Men, and the second year was just a Meet the Mustangs, where we would go to some of the local um, uh, proprietors and host a clinic on just working with horses and working with Mustangs and trying to get that exposure to the outside world, look at these horses. This is 30 days out, this is 60 days out of a total wild horse, and look how easy they can be gentled if you go into it with the right way. Now, t- where, you, where is Bar T Ranch? Uh, Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Okay, so you're down in North Carolina. You just had a little We're snow, huh? <laughs> yes, we we got a little. We should be. <laughs> well, it, that's not normal, though. You'll be back to 70 degrees by the end of the week. We will be at 70 on Friday, believe it or not. There you go. And last that's... night was 15. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I hear too. You know, I'm I'm really starting to think maybe I might need to check out Mustangs because with uh, how many with with something like five feet of snow we got this winter and the chilly temperatures, I'd love to be able to put a fuzzy Mustang out in my paddock. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not have to worry about uh, blankets and things. Well, you have a quote here. Uh, the I'm reading a quote that says, I'm a transformed horse trainer. I've gone from get a bigger rope to now get a softer rope. Was that your quote? That was my quote. Okay, so what, what does that mean? Where, where, where did you come from and, and where you are now as far as the training is concerned? Okay, initially, and as a teenager, uh, we worked with a lot of horses uh, when, when I was raised up here in North Carolina. And it was always... Apply pressure, apply pressure, apply pressure. And even when the horse would respond, you continued to apply pressure until you got exactly what you were looking for. And it was a very hard way of doing things. And, you know, if you reached down and picked up something to hit the horse with, maybe this isn't big enough, find me something bigger. I'm not saying that I necessarily was that way, but a lot of people that trained horses back then and in the 60s and 70s that's how it was done right right the natural horsemanship idea it had been played around with in different parts of the world but it wasn't popular right that's correct and you know up until maybe 15 years ago uh the ray hunts the um, buck randomans those guys started exposing that to the united states that you know there is a little easier way to do this and I started watching these guys and watching some of the things that they were doing and the quick results that they were getting, the lack of uh, anxiety being built up in the horses, and everybody's just kind of mellow and cool and relaxed. It's like, there's something to this. So I started trying it, and it was there for a while. You were on the seesaw. It was kind of like, well, I'm losing my patience now. I'm losing my patience. So you needed, you know, okay, walk away, walk away. But then once you finally accept, and I guess everybody's kind of term of uh, natural horsemanship 
But in reality, what it is is you're treating the horse just like another horse would treat it. Right, uh, right. Another exactly. horse gives a cue to a horse, whether it just looks at them or whether it pins an ear, whether it turns or rump to them or whatever. But all of these are just subtle cues to a horse. Well, as long as if we'll do a horse the same way and let the horse realize that, you know, there's always just a little bit of pressure above this, that a horse will respond, they'll learn to respond at the least amount of pressure when you ask things from them. So that goes back to the softer rope of you don't need the big, heavy, huge rope to hold a 1,000 or 1,200-pound horse. You can almost do it with a piece of twine if you do it the right way. Hmm. Well, I think that's a great line to wrap up this this segment. I really do. I, I can't thank you enough, Jim, for coming on and talking to us about this. I hope... Um, I hope you, you're, so you're going to continue to train Mustangs, right? Well, you're going to continue. I have uh, two Mustangs right now here uh, for other people uh, that I train, and that's what I kind of focus on more than the domestic horses because a lot of trainers in this area don't want to work with the Mustangs because of their, in my answer, lack of understanding. They right. haven't worked with the Mustangs enough to know that they're just as easy to train as a domestic horse. Initially, it takes a couple more you know, it may take you a, a week longer in the beginning to accomplish, but once you get to that point, then they're just like a domestic horse. Hmm. But the bond, there's no greater bond that will be created than with a Mustang. Well, very good, Jim. We appreciate you being with us, and uh, we look forward to uh, speaking. Maybe we'll be speaking with your daughter after she wins this year. Oh, well, that would excite her. Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll good luck. We'll keep an eye out for the Thomas family. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Glenn, and thank uh, you, Helena. All right, bye-bye. You're welcome. Our pleasure. Another great interview with another great horseman. Uh, what a great guy. Yeah, you he know? has a radio voice, too. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, he you could listen to him all day. He just has that voice, you know. And you know what's funny? I felt the same level of passion from Jim. Completely different approach, style, tone of voice, everything. But I heard the same level of passion as I did in, in Patty's voice. And um, I think that's a good representation of why these people do what they do. The Mustang inspires passion in people. Well, we encourage everybody to visit the websites. We're going to put, we've done a lot of links to, in today's program. You can find them all at stablescoop.com for this episode. Uh, just look for the Mustang episode and, and go to that page, and you'll find all the links for all the various things that we've talked about here today. And we certainly appreciate you listening in. Also, we have two other shows that we do on the Horse Radio Network the 2010 radio show, all about the World Equestrian Games. Last week, we had on the CEO of the World Equestrian Games Foundation, the Big, the big Cheese, uh, the head of the whole foundation, talking about everything uh, that's coming up and what's going on over there in, in the planning. And this week, we had a, a community forum that was done here in Lexington that I recorded that was all about – it was a, a forum for the community to learn about where the, where the games are at and what's coming up. So you get a little bit of the local flavor of what, what Lexingtonites are dealing with and what they're concerned about. I, I just taped the whole community forum, and we put it as part of this week's show. Also, the eventing radio show this week, we had Mike Etherington-Smith, who is the cross-country des- course designer for Rolex. So he talks to us about how things are going to be a, a little bit different this year because of all the changes at the Kentucky Horse Park. 
And also, we were thrilled to have with us Jenny Brannigan, who is one of the up-and-coming new young riders in eventing. She won the Jacqueline B. Mars International Competition and Training Grant this year. And she talks to us about her. She has her first trip coming up to Europe. So hmm. she's talking to us about that and, and how excited and absolutely nervous she is about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like two good shows. I'm going to have to download them to my iPod while I'm doing stalls today. Yeah, we talk about record. The Horse Husbands episode had uh, a record number of downloads so far for Stable Scoop. And we had a last week's show with the Eventing Radio Show was with Karen O'Connor and Max, her groom. And that had a by far a record number of downloads for the eventing show. So if you missed that one, go back and take a listen. It was good. And be f- be f- sure to listen next week as we present another fun show. I know we're both looking forward to this. Yeah. We have, it's called Extreme Horsewomen. And before you get your imaginations go crazy, let us explain that. <laughs> um, what it's going to be is horsewomen who riding horses and, and doing what they do on horses is minor in danger compared to the other things that they do. <laughs> so you, you sort of get the drift there. And one of the guests that we have lined up for next week, and we're thrilled to have her, is Liz Halliday, who is a, an eventer. Actually, she's doing one- and two-star events now. So she's working her way up in the eventing world. But she's also a Formula race car driver. So she's in the big time with, uh, as a race car driver. And then mm. we have a couple of other extreme horse women coming up as well that you're going to want to hear from. So I, I think that's just going to be a fascinating show. And, I, you know, I'm just going to be so interested to hear, you know, is the adrenaline more when you're going a 200 miles an hour around a racetrack? Or is it more when you're jumping a four-foot jump with a drop on the other side? You know, uh, where, where does the adrenaline Well, wait a minute. Today? I go 200 miles an hour around a racetrack, too. I'm not. In a car. <laughs> it's called the thoroughbred on a yeah. cold morning. <laughs> so I think it's just going to be a fun show. We're looking forward to talking to everybody there. And of course, you can give us feedback. We love to have your emails or your voicemails, and you can find them. Just go to our website at stablescoop.com and follow the contact link at the top of the page. And again, we want to thank our sponsor this week, and that is. Atlantic Horse Carriers. All right. Thanks to Atlantic Horse Carriers. And you can find them at AtlanticHorseCarriers.com. All right, Helena, I think we've run out of time about 20 minutes ago. Yep. So, like usual. (laughs) So, we'll see you again next week as we talk to the extreme horsewomen. We'll be back with the scoop. 